Jonah chapter four of the Hebrew scripture is such an indictment of the view right-wing Christianity has of war and violence. And in a really disconcerting time in the world where we're seeing the, the conflict in the Middle East and so many people are like, no, we have to support Israel because the Bible commands us to and all those things. And at a time when people are so quick to follow a, a former president's words and call people thugs and rioters and looters, rather than being willing to hear their story, uh, when we're so quick to say the LGBTQIA plus community deserves to be mistreated by the government. I wonder if Christians ever read the story of Jonah and say, am I Jonah? And I think it's something really hard for Christian people to do. But today I want to explain to you from Jonah chapter four as to why I feel that's important. It's an interesting time when Christian people often feel like those people are the ones that God is angry at. I often have a motto that says, God is not mad at you. Jesus didn't run around telling sinners they were terrible people. And even he didn't even run around telling sinners, sinners that they needed to go and sin no more or repent. He went to religious people and said, you need to repent. You're not in a good place. And I think today the Jesus would say the same were he incarnate in the United States today. But Christians have this view of the people we see as evil are the people that God sees as evil. And I can't remember who the philosopher was that, that uh, said recently, if your God hates all the same people that you hate, then that's a God you created. And I want to play a clip from our Speaker of the House. This is the third person in line to the presidency, president, vice president, speaker of the house, Mike Johnson. And his view of what America is, and this was an interview that Mike Johnson gave to a Christian nationalist podcast that is deeply involved in uh, a theology called dominionism and uh, seven mountains uh, mandate philosophy. Um, this is the Speaker of the House uh, talking just a few weeks before. And on TikTok, you're only going to be able to hear it. You won't be able to see it. On Facebook and YouTube, you, you should be able to see it as well. This is Mike Johnson, the United States Republican Speaker of the House. The only question is, is God going to allow our nation to enter a time of judgment for our collective sins, which his mercy and grace have held back for some time? Or is he going to give us one more chance? to restore the foundations and return to him. We will not be able to do it without the Lord's help because it, there's so, the flesh is, and the mistrust and the, the sin and everything is so great here that we, this is going to have to bring people to their knees. And I, look, I, I believe God is about to do something. Do you have time to answer the question? Can you say any more about the issue of this could be a time of judgment for America? Well, I mean, I, I don't, to, I'd be, I'd say I'd preach to the choir on this 
this Zoom call or maybe the honor choir, you all know the, the terrible state that we're in. Um, the faith in our institutions is the slowest it's ever been in the history of our nation. Um, the, 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 the culture is so dark and, and depraved that it almost seems irredeemable at this point. We, you know, we're, we're, the church attendance in America dropped below 50% for the first time in our history since they began to measure the, uh, the data uh, 60 years ago. And the, the number of people who do not believe in absolute truth is now above the majority for the first time. So one in three teen girls uh, contemplated suicide last year. One in four high school students identifies as something other than straight. Um, we're losing the country. So that's Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House of the United States government, who believes America is depraved and deserves bad things to happen so that people not in Mike Johnson's religion are brought to their knees. And his judgment of what makes our society depraved is the existence and wanting to affirm LGBTQIA plus identifying persons and a desire for them not to end themselves. That is depravity, according to the Speaker of the House, and a reason God is going to do something horrible to our nation that Mike Johnson believes we deserve. It's just that belief of not going to church, the fact that less than half of Americans now attend a church service on a regular basis, that is a sign that we're going to have calamity that we deserve, according to Mike Johnson, to bring us to our knees. That's the Speaker of the House, a Republican it's a, it's a wild time, and I want to encourage you today that you can think differently than this. Mike Johnson said, most Americans don't believe in absolute truth, and by absolute truth, he means the white Euro right-wing Christian interpretation of what they call the Bible. They've, uh, I guess we could say, colonized Hebrew scripture and made it the Old Testament and they've decided what books should be in the Christian New Testament and which ones should not. And they've decided they know everything there is to know about the interpretation of that scripture. And if you disagree, you're depraved. And Jonah was the same. As we're at a time, let me say with this encouragement, you don't have to think this way. That is a new creation of belief. That is not historic Christianity. That is not historic following of the Bible. And that was never a message of Jesus Christ in the Gospels. It is an aberrant, politically prostituted religious belief. And so my encouragement for you all is, if you're no longer able to be a part of that religion, let me encourage you to go seek out truth. And if you are a part of that and wondering if maybe our religious belief is wrong, that's how deeply indoctrinated Christian people have become. They cannot, they have to threaten violence and torture on people who disagree with their beliefs. And Mike Johnson is the one preaching this really bad end times theology of like, wow, America is about to get beaten down. 
or we really want things to get bad in the Middle East because that means Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. It's a wretched theology and philosophy. When we read the story of Jonah, I want you to think of yourself as Jonah. Could I be Jonah? And we we may think, yes, I am Jonah. I'm the preacher uh, telling of destruction and demanding repentance. But do we think of ourselves ever as Jonah the bigot who wants God to get revenge on those Jonah perceives as enemies, enemies of himself and enemies of God? The bigot who doesn't want to go to Nineveh because he knows God is going to have mercy on those people. And so let me do one of the things I love to do, which is modern day parables. Take the language of the Bible and and try to put it in in more of of a, a context where we can understand what the people were hearing who heard the story originally. So this is my modern day parable Jonah and his big, bad, exclusive, hateful religion. So we have Jonah. He sat down in the hot afternoon sun. He was wondering what to do because he knew God was not going to destroy the Ninevites whom he hated. They were terrorists, rioters. They had harmed Jonah's people. And he knew God was going to have mercy on them, and he did not want that to happen. He wanted revenge on his enemies, and he wanted God to want revenge on his enemies. He tried going in the opposite direction from the horrible place of Nineveh with with its horrible people, but God commanded him to come and speak to them. And Jonah knew God's purpose wasn't to destroy them even if they didn't repent. So he ran in the opposite direction. Didn't God know who the Ninevites were? They were a different race than Jonah's people, foreigners who followed different forms of worship and different gods. They had different cultural standards. They didn't believe in absolute truth. They they accepted people of different views of human sexuality and family, and they even ate lobster and ham. How could God possibly want to save these enemies of Jonah, these enemies of God himself, Jonah thought. They're they're not worthy of God's mercy and favor. He wanted to sacrifice the steadfast love that could be his. Yet here was Jonah sitting in the hot sun, hoping against all hope that, that God might surprise him and still show up and end the lives of all of Jonah's enemies. Now, Jonah had a moment that crept into his head that thought he might be wrong, that maybe God knew better than Jonah's lifetime religious indoctrination. But Jonah quickly dismissed that thought. He wasn't allowed such introspection. He would be excluded from his community if he became thoughtful like that. It was his country God wanted to make great again. It was Jonah's nationality with his religion imposing its laws onto others through the government that would make God's plan evident on earth. Anyone who said differently was quickly dismissed as false teacher or wolf in sheep's clothing or told they were going to hell. And then that damn storm had come up and Jonah had to admit he was the one following a false religion at that moment. God provided supernatural transportation back to Nineveh and Jonah had a choice to either meet God's heart or try something really drastic. 
you know, it was really hot when Jonah was sitting overlooking the city of Nineveh, which now sits on, which, which sat on the place that is now the modern city of Mosul, which was the capital of ISIS. The heat was beating down on Jonah. His skin hadn't maybe quite recovered from being in the belly of the fish, right? Jonah tried to shade his eyes, looking for any hint in the sky that lightning or hail or buzzards or locusts were coming to end these rotten sinners. Some of them even took a knee before one of the big athletic matches in the area. How horrible were these people? They weren't that bad, though, Jonah thought to himself. When, when, when I was up close walking through the city, they seemed human. Any chance I could be wrong about them? Nah, now nah, the indoctrination of Jonah took over. They didn't respect the traditional family, didn't follow the rules of patriarchal authoritarian religion. They even wanted women to be in leadership in their religious services. They didn't stand at attention for the national anthem. They didn't support our military and law enforcement enough. Now, it was not possible that these sinners could have any value in God's eyes at all. They were simply fodder for God's game of choosing some people for favor and destroying others, just as Mike Johnson, our uh, leader of the house, believes. Come on, God, do what's right, Jonah thought. Before Jonah had even ended that thought, something miraculous happened. This shrub, this plant, miraculously grew out of nowhere with huge leaves, providing shade for Jonah in the heat. And Jonah was like, yes, I knew it. God is on my side. God prefers me over those people. Ah, oh, he's even given me shade to watch their destruction. But then an awkward conversation began between Jonah and God in Jonah chapter four. Do you do well to feel this way about these people, Jonah? Jonah like, like didn't quite get the question. What, what are you saying? Do you do well to feel this way about these people, Jonah? God said, do you feel that you do well to think the way you do about Palestinians or BLM or people you call rioters or Democrats. Do you do well to feel that way? In a modern parlance, God is saying to Jonah, how's this working out for you? How's this working out for you in the commands to love your enemies, to display the gospel through the way you live around people who don't look like you? How's that working out for you? I'll tell you how it's working out, God, said Jonah. I'd rather be dead than live in a world where you have mercy on those people. Can you think about yourself as Jonah? I'd rather be dead than live in a world where God would have mercy on Palestinians, Muslims, LGBTQ+, BLM football players who take a knee. God, you can't have mercy on them because they are your enemies. 
Jonah put all the venom he could behind those words. He wanted God to know exactly how he felt. He wanted to shove God's mercy up there. You know what? From the corner of Jonah's eye, he saw something moving. And what was that? It's a little caterpillar on his beloved shade plant. God had miraculously created the plant, and now a worm came and miraculously killed it. Why do you do these things to me, Jonah whined? I'm, I'm the one who follows you, God. I'm the one who follows your indoctrination and dogma. I'm the one who stands against your enemies, BLM, impoverished people who protest against mistreatment by the systems of the country, those who don't believe my indoctrination and dogma is absolute truth. Jonah didn't care now. He was really letting it fly. He says, just kill me. Just kill me. I don't want to live in a world where you'll have mercy on them and not on me, God. How is that working out for you, Jonah? How is that working out for you, right-wing Christian. I knew it, God, said Jonah. I knew you weren't sending me here to condemn and demand these people repent. I knew you were going to have mercy on them. I said all along that you're not going to destroy these people. That's why I went in the opposite direction. I don't want to live anymore because your world where you have mercy on people I don't like is just not fair. Now it was God's turn to get pissed off. Jonah, do you believe my relationship with humanity is about rules and my desire to punish anyone who doesn't follow the rules? Or could it be that the divine spirit of heaven is pursuing humanity? And when I say that, I say all flesh, all of humanity, not just your chosen religion and religious sect that there is a divine goodness of heaven that wants to partner with all of humanity to see the world become a better place. It's not fair, Jonah responded. I've been following your laws. Why don't they have to follow the same rules? Why don't they have to be in bondage to the same rules? I think God probably snickered a little bit at that point. He says, you think it's unfair that a plant died a plant you had nothing to do with creating, yet you expect me to destroy beautiful human beings that you believe I created, that, that I crafted with my own hands out of the dirt to the, to, to the minute detail of who they are, and you think I want to destroy them based upon your minutia of rules and shame? God says this, how dare you curse me for not killing these 120,000 souls? You worry about a plant dying that you had nothing to do with, and you want me to kill 120,000 people and destroy their animals, their livelihood. After all that Bible study, Jonah, after all those days in the temple, you clearly, like Saul of Tarsus, have no idea of the character of the divine spirit of heaven. And with those words, the spirit of heaven was gone and Jonah left alone in the heat with a dead plant to watch the people Jonah passionately hated continue about their lives. People 
that God apparently didn't hate as much as Jonah had hoped God would. Jonah was a really good evangelical. He loved the sinner, hated the sin. Jonah was certain he knew who God loved and favored and who God wanted to punish. Jonah was fervent to see God's vengeance fall upon people while giving the, the veneer of being godly to himself while despising other human beings. The number one reason I know Jonah would be a great evangelical is he wanted God to hate those who he and his religious sect hated. And it really didn't matter if God agreed, and it actually made him super angry that God didn't. And evangelicals today are like, God, surely you don't like these football players who take a knee before a game. You don't like these drag queens who we actually know aren't the ones grooming children. We're actually doing that in the church, but boy, it sure does feel good to have them as an enemy. Many times we just miss the story of Jonah. Maybe we focus on the Jonah being thrown and swallowed by the big fish. By the way, the Bible does not say a whale. It says a big fish. Maybe we focus, well, the Ninevites repented, so that's why God didn't destroy them. But we miss that Jonah was like, no, I knew. I knew you were going to have mercy. That's why I went in the opposite direction. Jonah knew God was not going to destroy Jonah's enemies or those he perceived as his enemies. And so he was angry and didn't want to go. Jonah in uh, Jonah 4, Jonah chapter 4, verse 2 says, That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah was angry at the idea that, that there would be a God in heaven who would have mercy on people he didn't like. And this is the definition of right-wing Christianity today. And God's response was, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons and also much cattle? See, we, we never see the God of the story wanting to destroy Nineveh. That was Jonah's heart's desire. When the verse says people who don't know their right hand from their left, he's, he's saying people that aren't in the stream of your echo chamber, Jonah. I'm not going to hold them responsible to your rules when they're not even in the aeon, as it says in Romans 12 too. Don't be conformed to the age. Don't be conformed to the aeon. Don't be conformed to the echo chamber or the cultural principality that you're in. But Jonah was, and he was pissed off that God would have mercy on people he didn't like, just like our right-wing Christian friends today. Who do the Ninevites represent in our society today? <laughs> Who do right-wing Christians hate? 
those involved in the gay agenda, Democrats, Black Lives Matter, CRT, which they don't even know what it is, Muslims or people of non-Christian religions, atheists, China. Jonah felt fully justified in his hatred towards those people, as do evangelicals today, as Mike Johnson clearly voiced in his comment. And that's all due to bad theology and political manipulation. Jonah 4 is a scolding of this mindset. If, if a Christian could ever be introspective without being afraid of losing their loving family of their Sunday morning indoctrination community, they could hear these words speaking to them. God, I don't want to live in a world where you have mercy on people that I hate. If Jesus were walking incarnate in America today, he would say the same. Do you do well to feel this way? How's that working out for you? This was a sarcastic rebuke from heaven. You care about a silly plant that you had nothing to do with, but you want me to kill human beings. There was a famous pastor. I, I, I think he's still alive. Maybe I should say there is a famous pastor named Tony Campolo. And he used to go preach around the country in churches. And he would say at the start of each sermon, as a visiting speaker in a church in the United States of America, he would say, first, while you were sleeping last night, 30,000 kids died of starvation or diseases related to malnutrition. That's the first thing I want you to remember, he said. Second, most of you don't give a shit that 30,000 kids died of starvation or diseases re related to malnutrition. And the third thing I want you to remember that I share today is right now most of you are more upset with the fact that I just said shit than the fact that 30,000 children died last night. We get so self-righteous about our rules. <gasps> Pastor Paul just said shit. Oh, God's going to throw him in the lake of fire. Yet the Bible says nonstop care about the children dying rather than the rules. Jesus said, if, a, if an ox fell in the ditch on the Sabbath, you would get the ox out. But you, you don't give a damn about stopping to help human beings because of your rules. Jonah was a great evangelical. And I see many in the comments like, you're, you're twisting the Bible. That's not us. Because we can never stop and be introspective. Jonah chapter 4 of the Hebrew text challenges us all to stop and say, am I Jonah? Am I in any way saying, God, don't have mercy on those people? And are we certain that God hates those people as much as we do? And I, I'll hear every, every Christian say, well, I don't hate anybody. Well, if you have a theology and you voice it on a regular basis, that causes people to unalive themselves. You're speaking hate. Pastors and religious leaders years ago held a rally in our city to prey upon the right-wing narrative to demonize the LGBTQIA plus community and to, to call drag queens all kinds of horrible names and encourage Christians to pray and fast. 
that oppression of cultural affirmation of, of queer people would be the law of the land. And a local Lutheran church held a drag show to affirm the value of the lives of queer people. And many, by the way, human beings who participate in drag shows aren't, aren't anything other than heterosexual. They just love entertaining. And because our right-wing politicians and, frankly, the white supremacists of our region were angry about the drag show at the Lutheran Church, the church was terrorized with broken windows and violence. If you listen to the Republican primary debate the other night, the candidates were falling all over themselves to be the, be the most cruel one. I'm telling Israel to finish the job, wipe them out. And I'm not anti-Semitic in that I want Israel to be wiped out. But why is it that somebody who claims to be Christian would say, yes, go, go destroy all of those people? Why wouldn't we say, yeah, make yourself safe, but be willing to risk yourself more than go too far. After 9-11, America needed revenge. And even though we knew Iraq had nothing to do with 9-11, our Christian leaders said, yeah, we can kick their ass. We need revenge on somebody. Let's go get them. As many as 300,000 innocent civilians died in the war in Iraq, the war that went on forever, most of my children's lives. And I think God would say, do you do well? The day Osama bin Laden was killed, people went to the streets chanting USA. And I just felt in my spirit that a Christian God at that moment would say, yeah, I get it. President Obama, you had to say yes to that operation, but I'm brokenhearted that this frankly brilliant creature who had been weaponized by a whole lot of things in his life was gone. I know this is a hard teaching. Jesus, Jesus would often say to people, this is a hard teaching to be heard by those that can hear it. But we've been so trained in America that Christianity means to be weaponized, warmongers, lovers of our ability to produce violence as a country, as our protection. When the Bible and Jesus said the exact opposite. 
And as I tell this story, let me say, as one of the New Testament writers once says, I'm the greatest sinner of you all because this was me. I was a right-wing Christian who believed Ronald Reagan was sent by God to turn the country around. But around the 2000s, I'm like, wait, something's wrong here. And then I studied the history of the anti-abortion movement and realized that this was a political movement that had used a veneer of godliness to manipulate Christian people. Thanksgiving is at hand. Are you even able to think that we're celebrating mythology first off, because that dinner we celebrate never happened. It was a myth created for a, excuse me for hitting my mic, created for a litany of reasons. But the indigenous persons didn't say, yay, Europeans are here. They knew what it meant, but there was a tribe that partnered with the Europeans at Plymouth because they were in a battle with a neighboring tribe and they thought the Europeans could help them, but it wasn't long before that tribe went to their enemies of other tribes and says, Hey, the danger here is not each other. The danger here are those white people, but it was too late. And when we celebrate Thanksgiving, we're celebrating that we believed we had a godly mandate to go take over the continent. Those people hadn't built Euro-style fences around property. So therefore, they weren't capable of taking dominion over the land. And today, when you hear Rick Santorum this last week say, democracy is bad, you know that it's right-wing Christians again saying, the people aren't capable of knowing what's right for them. Mike Johnson says, God's going to punish us because not everybody in America is following our religious indoctrination. Are you able to think that that may be wrong when Christianity has been wrong in so many times of history before? I'll end with this and then we can do some Q&A. Romans 12, 2. I think Romans, other than the Gospels and the teachings of Jesus, is the most important book in the Bible. And, and really, one of the apexes is Romans 12 that says, don't be conformed to the age. Now, some people say, it, oh, it's don't be conformed to that world out there. Don't be conformed to those people. That's not what it says. It says, don't be conformed to the aeon, the era that you're in, the, the closed community. But be transformed. And that word transformed is like completely transformed, like a caterpillar broken down into its liminal self in the cocoon. Be transformed from a caterpillar into a butterfly. How? By renewing your mind, the ongoing renewing of your mind, constantly questioning, is what I believe today okay? Because 
the renewing of your mind in Romans 12, 2 says, so that you can know what is good and right. And other versions say, and the perfect will of God. Jesus said, don't live by bread alone, but by every word that is proceeding from the mouth of God. That if you get stuck in the principality of old, you will not know what is good and right. Jesus was walking through a village of Samaritans with James and John, two of his best buddies, his closest disciples. And the Samaritan village rejected Jesus and said, get out of here and drove them out. They literally rejected Jesus Christ, just as many Christians would say, well, those, those atheists, those non-Christians reject Jesus. So therefore, God should not have mercy on them. And James and John, after they were so offended by these non-partisans of their religion, uh, rejecting Jesus, they said, Jesus, let us call fire down from heaven and destroy these people. And Jesus says, stop it. It says in this, in uh, one version of the story, he rebuked them. And that word rebuked, like at, at the harshest level, he said, effing stop it. And in a, a verse that's not in the original manuscripts, in fact, the whole story is not in the original manuscripts, so we can argue about how it should be, but I love the idea in some versions, Jesus says to them, you do not know the spirit you're of. You do not know the aeon you are conformed to right now. You do not know the principality of your partisan religion that has control of your heart right now. Do you do well to want to destroy these people? Are you able as a Christian ever to be introspective and say, is there a chance that I'm Jonah? When I hate the people that I'm told to hate from right-wing propaganda, is there any chance that Jesus would say to me, stop it. You don't know the spirit you are of. Do you do well to feel this way? So that's my story. That's my Bible talk today. 